to this edition of the KTH 910 AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. I'm Dave Palmer, Executive Director here at the station. Cecil is running the board and also have a dear friend uh, who's one of the more talkative people that I know, but she is somehow, someway going to sit in this studio and not say a word for a while because she's introduced me to a friend of hers who I'm really excited to introduce you to. Uh, her name is Olivia Franklin. You know Olivia probably. She's uh, a wonderful, wonderful volunteer and does a lot to help and bless uh, Catholic Radio. The gentleman that she introduced me to, his name is Alfonso Montiel, and he serves as CEO of Silverstone Hospice and palliative care and they are located in dallas on harry hines boulevard and uh, their web their website silverstonehospice.com and he's got a fascinating story uh, he's a native of venezuela uh, he grew up uh, in, in a, uh, a very 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 catholic family <laughs> and uh, got to meet uh, pope john paul ii pope saint john paul ii on a couple of occasions and uh, was very much influenced by him and this is kind of now uh, influenced him in the way that he uh, goes about his work. He does not consider it work. He considers it missionary uh, efforts and in, uh, in his work in, in, in hospice and palliative care. So with no further ado, Alfonso Montiel. Welcome. Thank Thanks you. for being here. You should, you should do the introduction every time I walk into the room. <laughs> <laughs> you made me tear it up, and, uh, and, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> so I'm, I, as, as you can vouch. I look 32, but I'm 52. And... Um, it is only now at this stage in life that you can start connecting the dots of the things that influenced you. Yeah, for yeah, the things that, that you do. Yeah, you get more uh, like kind of introspective as you get older, don't you? And and it it hadn't hit me fully until I was thinking about what we were going to do today to see the incredible influence of growing up praying the rosary, um, and and. Catholicism in my family that led into the work that we do today in helping those that are what I like to call the last chapter in their lives. Mm-hmm. So it, if I do the math right, you were born in the uh, early to mid 60s. Like, uh, August 12, 1969. Okay, 69. That's right. You're, I'm a little bit older than you. I was making you a little bit younger. You look younger. <laughs> so uh, 1969. Uh, and tell us about your upbringing. Uh, very, very Catholic. Uh, Venezuela is a pretty Catholic country in the first place, right? Completely Catholic. Yeah. Um, I, and I grew up in Venezuela at a time where everything seemed possible. So we had the oil boom. Things were growing. Mm-hmm. Things were happening. Uh, my father, being a very poor man, he 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 jokes that he had one shirt when he was a kid, and that was to go to school. Mm. Uh, the rest of the time, he was basically naked. And uh, and he started building um, a company to do um, housing for low income families. Yeah. And um, it was again the time of the possible. And I had a very creative mother who um very very spiritual and felt that she could do more in her love for Jesus she started this campaign to teach people how to pray hmm. and she asked the mayor of the town to allow her to invite people to come to public squares and she would literally get a megaphone and start praying <laughs> the rosary this is when you were a child right with her eldest yeah. son were four and um sitting next to her not particularly enjoying um the the moment but also not knowing the impact that it had after you know the other thing that she did is that for christmas she would uh when my father started uh, becoming successful she insisted um, his income, part of it had to be donated. Mm. 
And among many other things we did is our Christmas as siblings had to be spent giving back. And we had some uh, hospitals, public hospitals in very sad uh, shape. And she would make my siblings and I um, to walk the hallways of the public hospitals. And now you're thinking Latin America type of hospital where the beds have no sheets and there's no medicines. And we had to walk those hallways, Mm. look at every child in the eye and the illness or critical diseases and um, and uh, the wing with the critical diseases and, and give them presents. Mm-hmm. And that resonated in a way that I never forgot. Yeah. And that it has come back. Now, I must have been eight or nine or ten years old and then as a teenager. And it came back now. But the, the, the prayer initiative led to us and my mother, led by my mother to do uh, prayer, t- going to jails also to pray with the inmates. Um, again, for a child, that wasn't very amusing. <laughs> Looking back, it mm-hmm. did open your heart in a particular way. And then she started saying that, um, how come we are a Catholic country? She felt an important country and a Pope had never come and mm. visited. So when the Pope uh, was shot, and he was shot in St. Peter's yeah. by um, yeah. Aliaka, I think, was yeah. a Turkish gentleman, mm-hmm. who he then forgave and went to visit in, in, in prison. My mother found, uh, I remember we were watching TV, and she saw a interview of the doctor that was about to operate on His Holiness. And she somehow, because remember, no Google, no internet, no email, she somehow found his details I remember the Pope was being operated at the Politecnico Gemelli. She sent her a check, sent a check with um, an instruction for the doctor to buy a big bouquet of flowers for the Pope. All right. So the doctor did, and then we got a letter. Again, this is not email time. The letter came months later and says, I personally walk into the room, gave the Pope the flowers, mm-hmm. and he was very happy. For my 15th birthday, my mother decided that we needed to go and meet the Pope. And she tried every avenue possible. She called the president of the country. She did many, many things. And she still didn't get a formal invitation. Um, Before that, then she thought that it was a good idea to convince every kid in our hometown, which was Maracaibo, almost in the border with Colombia, and and, um, every child to write a letter to His Holiness to say, please come to Venezuela, and if you do, come to Maracaibo. I next thing I remember is our living room was filled with suitcases of thousands of letters from children asking the Pope to come. She managed to get those letters to the Vatican, mm. but still they wouldn't give us access to see him. So she took the letters from the doctor and everything she had done. And for my birthday, we went to Rome and we showed up and she maneuvered her way into giving those letters to somebody that gave them to the Pope. And what year was this? This was, uh, oh God, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm 52. Well, I was 69 so in the early 80s. I was about right? to turn 50. Okay. 15. 15. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I was about to, so I was 14 yeah. years. It must have been 19. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, from 69 80, to about 83, 84, 80, 84, 84. 84. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. And, so and that's, that's when this happened. And as, again, I, I can only share it as a child back yeah. then. And we were in the Apostolic Palace. We were with um, a few thousand people praying the rosary. 
And the Pope was in a little balcony inside. It's called the Cortile San Damaso. It's the little square in the Apostolic Palace where he lives and works, I believe, on the third floor. And um, suddenly the Swiss guard comes to pick, come to pick us up and brings us upstairs to the Pope's library. Mm. And lo and behold, the Pope walks in. <coughs> And um, audience. it yeah. was extraordinary. Yeah. It was extraordinary. I remember my father kissing the ring and asking him, uh, because my father wanted to be, uh, he wanted to be a priest, but again, we're Catholics. He says, <laughs> is there any chance, uh, your holiness, that you could consider letting people like me who are married with kids be a priest? And the Pope very gently nodded. And he spoke several languages and he mm-hmm. listened very slowly. Yeah. And, um, and I'm, he, I, we all hugged him. And again, he, he smelled like a like a cool old man, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he stayed with us perhaps for fifteen minutes just chatting. Um, lovely, lovely man, um, and that experience um, is one that you can never forget. Mm-hmm. I I I would credit some of the things or a lot of the things that I saw there with leading into the work that we do now in hospice. Yeah, um, because there's something about um, helping people, ministry, serving, um, that makes your heart um, vibrate in a particular way. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it only happens when you're serving. Yes. So, go ahead. Was it at that meeting that your mom must have broached the topic of coming to Venezuela, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. he did. So, so so he, some two years later, he came over. And I remember, uh, and my mother was then, he was serenaded. And it was, it was, it was a big, big deal. I yeah. remember. We all went nuts. Um, you don't get tired of meeting the Pope. Yeah. I mean, and, and every time it's, it's a special moment. I, I had the chance to see Pope Francis about two or three years ago. And the moment he comes out, you, at least I'll speak for me, you lose it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a spectacular feeling. Um, what was the occasion of meeting Pope Francis? Was that a planned meeting like with uh, Pope St. John Paul II? Or was I, I that just a Wednesday? Uh, we have, you know, the, the sustituto, which is a role of, I believe, the third person in the Vatican, is now a Venezuelan from okay. my hometown. Oh, wow. So um, I was then CEO of an organization. Uh, we were building farms and refugee camps in northern Iraq and the border with Syria, Iran, and Turkey. And uh, our work received a prize by the Vatican. Mm-hmm. We were acknowledged for the work that we did. So um, I made a few phone calls and uh, found myself again in the Apostolic Palace. And <laughs> then as a 50-year-old, and it was surreal all over again. Yeah, and it was yeah. a very, very emotional experience. And, um, you know, I think we're all guilty as we, as we grow up to stay away from what was meaningful to us. So I think for, for, for years, I did not pray the rosary mm-hmm. in the way I used to and in the way I pray now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's um, those moments, which I, let's just call them milestone moments, are a great reminder. Um, and then, uh, um, if you knew my mother, you would know why there was, there was always a need for drama. So she needed to meet the Pope and she needed to do all those things. And she had, she had an absolute adoration for Jesus. But what I wanted to say is, I, I don't think everybody needs to meet the Pope. I think you can, right. you can find joy and, and peace and love praying the rosary alone and doing it at church quietly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I, I tell you, I, when I go to church these days, I, I actually stay quiet most of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I go to the communion and I do things. But uh, anyway, I, I'll keep, keep on talking, so interrupt me and oh, let me know. No, no, that, that, that's, no that's great. <laughs> I, I think... Uh, yeah, 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 that's, you're so right. I mean, no, we don't need to be the Pope. It's kind of a nice thing. It's, it's interesting, but uh, we, we can go to Adoration. Makes for great stories. We can go to Adoration <laughs> and good interviews on the radio yeah. too, right? But, uh, any, well, any of us have the opportunity to go to, uh, any church pretty much at any time and go to Mass. And that's, uh, infinitely uh, more valuable than meeting any, any human being. So, uh, that, that is awesome. But, but what a great opportunity. And also, uh, the, the power of one person with some, Drive and right. faith, uh, and right. God bless your mother for organizing this program uh, yeah. with the schools. And uh, Very did, was, was she able to be recognized when the Pope came? Did she get some kind of? Yes, uh, yes. you know. Okay, I hope so. And she loved yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it 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 was it was extraordinary, and I I I do have to say, um, yeah, there is um, like an immense light around somebody like John Paul II. Mm-hmm. Um, and today, with the work that we do, and I don't know if you know much about hospice. I don't, um, yeah. But um, and hospice is, is the name that is given to the care that somebody who is in the last chapter of life receives. Mm-hmm. It's mostly free. It's mostly paid by the U.S. government or your insurance as you have it. It doesn't mean you're about to die. It means you need help. Mm-hmm. And hospice includes, at least in our company at Silverstone, a medical director full-time available, a nurse, nurse practitioner, chaplain for spiritual care, uh, social worker to help you organize your things, aides to help you bathe. And some people need all of it. Some people need a part of it. But in my experience, it enhances your life mm-hmm. and in some cases lengthens the time that you have to live. So why am I sharing this? is because when I look at the people that do hospice work, especially our aides and our, again, our chaplain and our nurses, I see the same light I saw in John mm-hmm. Paul II. Yeah, yeah. It's the same. It's, it's missionary work. You, you, you don't do this work if your cup is not full. Yeah, yeah. You cannot do this work with an empty cup. This is, this is work about giving. And sadly, during the pandemic, every healthcare worker outside was very stressed um, to capacity. Yeah. And the industry suffered. Yeah. A lot of hospices closed. Uh, a lot of people left the profession because it's a, it's a difficult profession. We're blessed that we we went three times as big as we were before. Yeah. Now, that's a, it's an interesting uh, point because during the height of the COVID, you know, pandemic, and there was a lot of fear and you're not even supposed to get, you know, can't visit your, you know, parents in the hospital or you can, you can't, how, how are you able to do hospice? I mean, I guess there's an exception because somebody's got to be with them. I do have to, in, in full transparency, in the beginning, it was scary for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, it, we had some nurses, had some nurses in conference calls that were like, we're not going to see Mm -hmm. patients because we have children. We don't know what this thing is. Yeah. Um, and, and, I'm about to share something not in the spirit of appearing like Superman because I'm not. I went myself. Yeah, good for you. I went myself, and we. I remember a specific case of somebody who was a lady who was very ill in an assisted living facility, and then they were closed. They wouldn't allow people in. And her children couldn't come to see her, and mm-hmm. she was transitioning. I, 
I know the word dying is a technical one. I do believe in heaven. I do believe we go somewhere. So I don't call it. It's not the end for me. Mm-hmm. For me, it's yeah. a transition. And uh, but I we had this program called No One Dies Alone, and I didn't want her to be alone uh, because until the last minute, people feel people are there. Um, so I made myself inside the facility and sat with her, and yeah. our volunteers sat with her. And I see it over and over and over again when people that are alone, either because the family has issues or because family lives somewhere else and they had the COVID situation, I would sit there and I, if they had a son, I would say, your son is here. Mm-hmm. And in my heart of hearts, I was the son. Yeah. And remember a specific case when I said, this beautiful woman, she, uh, she didn't even have um, black hair. She used to be a, uh, in the police force. And she had no more family. And I said, um, if you, um, your son is here, and if you want to transition with somebody, I'm here. And I pray the Our Father with her. Um, in Venezuela, we say El Padre Nuestro. And, um, and read poetry, and she took one breath. She took another one, and that was it. Yeah. It's a, it's a very beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. The closest I have witnessed to... Um, a grand moment, yeah, um, a holy moment that actually is very, very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, that uh, I've I've never been in the presence of somebody who was you know imminently dying. Mm-hmm. But in, in your business, of course, this is what you Every all day. do, and yeah. you are are with and and the, the, what a an amazing moment like you've described so well. Of you know, they're about to. Pass into that next yeah. uh, that next place, uh, depending on it, you know, and and, it, and it, well, how do you, it's yeah. a transition. And I yeah. tell you, um, I I'm not because of HIPAA laws and many things. Not allowed to share names on on, on anything, and I wouldn't anyway. But I'll tell you, there was a there was a moment in which I remember saying, even if I didn't grow up Catholic, even if I have if I didn't have my upbringing, I would still believe. Mm-hmm. And it was this lady that I'm not exaggerating. I think she had 96 descendants, and uh, in South Dallas. And they asked me to be there when I when I was a volunteer, and um, the whole family was there, like me, Latinos, and the whole family was there. And I said, "Man, I said I don't know if anybody can transition when you have all the family here. Some of them were singing, some of them were watching things on the iPad. Um, the one of the daughters fell; she needed a haircut, so they called somebody to do a haircut. I'm thinking, what's going on? So I said, "Hey, can we can we pray?" So we got a rosary that the family couldn't find, but we mm-hmm. did it. Family calmed down, and then it was her sister on one side of the bed, and I on the other side, and we were praying the rosary. And this woman who had Alzheimer's and dementia, who didn't know who she was, who hadn't talked, looks up, and her eyes look like something I've never seen. Very, very deep. And she looks at a corner of the ceiling and the wall, and she says in Spanish, Mom and Dad, I'm ready. All right. And then she went away. Oh, wow. wow. So you see these things, and then you realize you know what? Prayer works, A. Yeah. And B, we are here just temporarily. Yeah. So at least for me, that makes my job um, easy or easier, and he makes it an honor. Mm-hmm. It makes it an honor. I remember the, the first, first times I was holding the hand of somebody who was transitioning. I would drive home sobbing, and people cannot see me, but I'm 60 foot, 
six foot four Venezuelan. So I'm like sobbing. It doesn't look good as I'm driving crying. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as I'm driving crying and I would get home and start make myself a glass of wine and make dinner and I would start sobbing again but the cry would come from the stomach and the tears were different. I realized that there were tears of gratitude mm -hmm. because I also know now that when somebody is about to leave, they decide how and when yeah. and who's there and who's not there. Yeah. So to have the honor and the blessing and the privilege of having somebody choosing that I'm the one there with them, it gave me great joy. Yeah. It gave me great joy. And it was then when I started praying harder mm -hmm. as yeah. much as I, as I did before. And that's when I remember how, at least for me, it's so important to have a set of beliefs that you can go back to over and over and again. Yeah. It's easy to lose it. Let me just yeah. remind everybody, this is the interview of the week here on KTH 910 AM. Alfonso Montiel, CEO of Silverstone Hospice, uh, is my guest. Uh, introduced, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, by my friend uh, Olivia Franklin, who's here with um, with us as well in the studio. Uh, their website, SilverstoneHospice.com. SilverstoneHospice.com. And he t he's already told us a story about uh, meeting uh, Pope St. John Paul II, uh, Pope St. John Paul II coming to Venezuela. And also, uh, he had an opportunity to visit uh, with Pope Francis as well several years ago. Uh, what, what about, I'm curious about somebody who is not a believer. I, I can't imagine how uh, much despair there would be, or, or maybe, I don't know, maybe there's relief, I guess. But can you tell the difference or uh, between a person who's dying who doesn't believe that something you know, it's going to be on the other side of this transition, like you say. I, I have a story. Thank you for asking that. I, I have um, I have a story of a lady, beautiful lady, um, French Cuban, <laughs> and um, she was a patient of ours. And I went to see her. Uh, she came through a friend, and I asked her, "What would you like before your final chapter arrives?" And she asked for one thing. She wanted to sit in front of a Jesuit priest. So Did you call I, the Pope? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought about it. But uh, no, she wanted to sit in front of, of, and I had assumed, because when I grew up, my father went to a Jesuit school. There were many, many Jesuits. Um, a lot of my father's friends were Jesuits. In Dallas, there's not many. Mm. So I found one of apparently four or five and he came over, and I was there. To my surprise and privilege, he starts giving her the last rites with me in the room. And I've never witnessed something that beautiful. Hmm. And this woman whose room was full of uh, frames with the Virgin and um, crosses and be beautiful, silver, successful, wonderful woman. She, um, she looks at this... Jesuit priest, and you didn't know which one of them was a patient, by the way. He was very, very old <laughs> and, uh, and very sweet. And she says to him, she sat in front of him, and she said, I've been a Christian and a Catholic all my life, and now I'm about to go. And I just know there's a wall in front of me I'm about to hit. And for the first time, I'm really, really scared. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't know what to believe. Yeah. And they had a private conversation that was very, very, very beautiful. And um, she ended up transitioning a day or two later in deep peace. Mm. Oh, that's great. So I guess the point I wanted to, 
to, and I didn't know I wanted to make, but the point I wanted to make is even for those who don't believe or believed in suddenly in the last moment is very different. Right? Mm-hmm. She yeah. knows this and she was smart and alert and sophisticated and she sat with the right person. Yeah. Yeah. With the right person that I, I remember distinctively. He didn't, he talked about Jesus and he, um, but he didn't try to convince her of anything he hadn't experienced himself. He went to talk about an experience he had when he had cancer mm-hmm. and how he felt about it. And that brought peace to her. Yeah. So I must assume that if you're alone, which I haven't had that experience because I'm always with a person and we have spiritual support and nursing support and many things. If you are alone and you're awake and aware and you don't have hope and you don't have somebody to help you with that hope, I I can assume it's very, very challenging. Yeah. And probably very, yeah. very scary. And and probably the person doesn't want to let go. And then when you, that's when you hear stories of of moments of transition that are painful mm-hmm. and unpleasant and sad. Yeah, uh, And that's why it's so important to have hospice and palliative for people to prepare. You'll send people in at months in advance to have the conversations. What do you believe? Mm-hmm. You believe in nothing. Oh, okay, why? So that's all of this work includes things like that. Yeah. Before we started recording, you mentioned about the, the importance of forgiveness. Mm. And uh, talk about that and maybe some of the other mm. interior dispositions that... Uh, you've experienced uh, for good or for bad in the people who are yeah, in hospice. This is what I was I was saying earlier to you and to Olivia. And by the way, for those of you who have never seen Olivia, she's stunning <laughs> and sweet and kind. Uh, but anyway, we'll do a program about Olivia. And, and the reason why I'm here, thank you, Olivia. The um, uh, the important thing about and and we were talking about right before we were talking about this medieval concept of memento mori. Yeah that is rooted in, in very, very old Christianity as well, which, which means remember your death. Mm-hmm. So how do you live your life? How do you pray your prayers thinking about the end? And that in turn brings you back to living a holier life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So what happens in a lot of cases, especially with today with medicine, which is, you know, the more technology we have, the more a doctor thinks they can save you, the more they want to postpone the difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. So what happens is in some cases, we had patients that arrive on Thursday and transition on Sunday. Yeah. You didn't have time to have a conversation about who do you need to reconcile with? Who do you need to forgive? Where is your son who hasn't called you in six years? And those are the things that I've noticed in a lot of cases make it very hard for the patient yeah, and, and with the family. And some people that are suffering don't die <clears throat> waiting for that resolution. Mm. So do you ask these questions? I oh, mean, yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, that's do. part of your, oh, yeah. uh, the, the we process. We do a spiritual biography. Oh, is that right? Yeah, okay. what do you believe? And sometimes the family has a belief and the patient has another belief. How do you reconcile? <clears throat> which, which are the wishes you're going to follow? Yeah. But it's mostly, and I'm going to sound... Uh, rehearse, but it's mostly about love. Mm-hmm. It's about the people that you love and you want to make sure they know and the people that you want to forgive or the people that you want to feel forgiven by. And all of those things are part of the process. You don't want to wait until it's too late. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, um, it's, um, and, and, and Olivia was saying something earlier, uh, and for those that are here, it's, it's so interesting because if you had asked me five, six years ago, oh, Alfonso, you're going to one day buy a hospice company and mm-hmm. run it and go and visit 
people at the end of life, I would have been like, where, where do you imagine that? I mean, I'd be like, have you been drinking something you shouldn't have? <laughs> and because I, when, um, when I left Venezuela and I went to do my MBA, I went to Columbia University and I've been to law school, I started working <coughs> in strategy and I built an investment firm. So we raised $150 million from the Bush White House. Um, a lot of people don't know the, the White House controls something called OPIC that is similar to the World Bank but smaller, and they go and invest in areas where U.S. capital is needed to help people. Mm-hmm. We are a very, very generous country, uh, as you all know, very generous people. And I can say we now because I'm American now. Uh, and uh, the White House at that point, President Bush, 43, wanted to help low-income housing in Latin America. So I started a fund with $152 million to do that. Mm. And, and I follow that life that my, I guess I, my father having only one shirt, then I got to do this and I felt really, 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 really special. And I mentioned I met the queen. I did all those things, but there was something missing. There was something missing. And, and that kind of work, again, while entertaining and fantastic, I was serving myself. In this kind of work, mm-hmm. you're serving people, you're yeah. serving your belief. And um, I, I have never woken up happier mm-hmm. than I do now. I've never woken up um, happier, uh, um, go to sleep happier than I do now. And I, I mentioned this when we talked earlier, I'm, I'm filled with messianic fantasies. Mm-hmm. And I hope that we can continue to grow and one day have a thousand patients a day so that we can through the work of hospice and palliative, not only take care of a lot of people, but teach people of having that conversation about forgiveness, about spirituality, about what you want your um, last chapter to look like. Mm-hmm. Some people come to us with a prognosis of two weeks and they last two years mm-hmm. just because of the care and the love. Yeah. Now that they didn't have it from their family, family doesn't know. Again, we have made death invisible in this country. And then you have somebody enlightened like Olivia, who has 91, your father's 91, right? 91 year old father who's in hospice. And mm-hmm. you know what? He might leave us soon. He might leave us in a year or two. He might last to 100. Mm-hmm. Only yeah. God knows. Um, but our, the doctors today are, don't have the time to have the conversation. I'll give you an example of an emergency department, or one here nearby. Um, one doctor, on, an, on his shifts is about 250 patients. I would argue 30% of those patients should be in hospice or palliative care. Lots of Hispanic families that don't have a primary care doctor, so they use mm. the ER. Um, they don't have the time to tell the family, hey, I think the conversation needs to be had. Everything moves so fast. Everything with hospice, we're all understaffed. So to me, it's sacred, sacred work. Other countries like the UK is, is a nonprofit. Mm. So the hospices are maintained by people donating money. Mm. Here's for profit. Yeah. Um, now, as part of my messianic fantasies, I want to create, and hopefully by the end of this year, next year, hospice houses where people that cannot afford because they didn't have Medicare, they didn't have insurance or anything like that can go to a place where they're loved, where they're looked after, where they can talk about the things that matter to their heart, mm-hmm. um, yeah. where they can pray. And, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the story you said about the the, the one lady and the, the family gathered around her. And uh, yeah. 
I, I, I would guess the last thing, you know, as before somebody transitions, like you say, is prayer. I, I, I have a, a dear friend, um, uh, Aurora Tinajero, whose husband passed away. She hosts a show on our Spanish side, and uh, her uh, husband, Javier, uh, was a, a, an amazing man. And she, she, I remember her telling me about his passing, and I don't know if it was in hospice or what the circumstances were, but the whole family was gathered around. And they were praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet with him, and they were praying and praying and praying. I'm sure there were there was rosaries, and they knew that he was he was going. And as soon as he he died, they sang Happy Birthday. Uh, wow. have, have you ever seen anything no. like that? This is uh, you, you. You should meet her because uh, no, I should sing Happy Birthday from now on. Uh, in yeah, because it was like the, 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 the birthday into everlasting life, and so wow. they and so they and that, and that also immediately makes it joyful. You know, because yes. it's a joyful moment. No, you know, you can cry later, but at this moment, so I just was curious about wow. that that moment of transition. Uh, do you? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. In, in, in my wow. Um, the, thank you for that. You just yeah. shifted my, my, <laughs> my understanding that I never, I never seen it, but I, you can trust that I, on a next team conference call, I'm going to tell everybody to be ready <laughs> to sing happy birthday. Um, every transition is, is, is different. The ones I've witnessed have been, um, peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. The ones I've witnessed is, is, is literally taking one, Breath, taking a second breath, and the third one never comes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very, very, very loving. Yeah. Um, I, in my experience too, there's people that want to transition with their loved ones around, and there's people who wait for everybody to leave the room to transition. Oh, is that right? They want everybody out. Yeah. Yeah. And and, it, and you remind me of something when we talk about forgiveness. Um, hospice and palliative care and this kind of um, endeavor, it's also useful not only for the patient, but for the family that stays then alive. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of guilt of, did I do everything I could? Yeah. Especially for people of prolonged illnesses, the daughters who have basically transformed their lives just to take care of the father or the mother or the aunt or the grandmother. Then the person goes away and their meaning was to be a caregiver. Mm -hmm. And it's gone, right? Yeah, and right. and also for um, a wife, then the wife is no longer a wife; is a widow. A son is no longer a son; is an orphan. So all those things that happen, if you prepare, you avoid the natural guilt from the family members who stayed. Mm-hmm. We should have done this. We didn't call the priest on time. We didn't take grandma to Disney. She wanted to go to Disney. We didn't invite the cousin that was in jail that now came out because we didn't. It's all of those things. It's very complex. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we need time to heal. Yeah, probably also situations where family members aren't getting along with each other or oh, have yeah. to have different ideas of what they want to do. And oh, yeah. uh, last thing you probably want in a room, a hospice room, is conflict and yeah. and uh, and stress, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I tell you, I wish there was a word that people were willing to accept more than hospice. With and then hospice has this reputation of the hospice nurse arrive and patient dies right away. Mm-hmm. The problem is that they wait until too late. You can do it years before. Yeah, it's just imagining a layer of support that comes to take care not only of you physically but psychosocial, spiritual support, everything. Mm-hmm. And funny enough, the government has very specific guidelines. So, for example, today in our companies is IDG is the is the moment where every discipline, spiritual, nurses, everybody, social worker, volunteer, everybody gets together in a room 
happens every two weeks, and every case is evaluated. You try to anticipate decline. You try to understand what's happening so that you can give the best care possible. This is not because we're special. This is a requirement by the mm-hmm. government. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's very, very regulated. Yeah. So, so you have the relationship with the government, uh, also relationship, I'm sure, with, with churches. I'm just thinking, you told the, the story about the, uh, the old Jesuit priest yeah. that came in for that, that one lady. Yeah. But, you know, people are going to want last rites. Uh, yeah. There's viaticum, uh, the, the, the last Eucharist that yeah. somebody can receive. Do you yeah. see that? I, yeah. I know priests, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, you know, the, that's the way I'd want to go. Yeah. I'd want to have viaticum, you know, right as I'm about to die. <laughs> do, do, do you see that I, priest I, coming I, in and, and administer yeah, the Eucharist I, if the person's able I, to swallow? I, I have, and, um, and then I go to the car and cry <laughs> because I feel it's a privilege, it's an, it's an yeah. honor. And again, going back to that concept of memento mori, I go back and remember my own death mm-hmm. and how I want it. Yeah. And um, I often, you know, people say, I want to go in my sleep. Oh, I want to be awake. Yeah. yeah. I want to be awake. I want to say, I love you. And, right. Uh, and if I'm hurting, I say, give me this pill. Um, but um, is, yeah, but we've got at least, I'll speak about us here in the room, is we, we, know that when we're gone, we're going to be received somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So I want to be awake before yeah. I leave. Yeah, And that's, and I'm, as I'm smiling, I, I, when people come to our office and you're all welcome is in the medical district and they see that everybody's happy. <coughs> Are you guys in hospices? Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. happy to do what we do. We're not a bunch of sad people. Right. In fact, I would guess that when you're hiring uh, folks to, to work in hospice, you don't want sour pusses. I mean, no. you're looking for a certain. No. You have to, I mean, you have to have a certain personality. Oh, you have to be very com- compassionate yeah. and happy. And yeah. Yeah. There was, um, there was a, something that happened um, a week or two ago with a, a patient whose sister was a caregiver and. Um, her beautiful brother decides to transition in the midst of the freeze, right? Yeah. So emergency uh, alert. Uh, the roads were frozen. You couldn't drive without. He, he did it exactly at the worst moment. Anyway, I called the sister. <laughs> I called her and I said, "Hey, um, I usually don't call. I'm the CEO. I usually don't 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 call every family. But I I heard about your case and that your brother had to wait to be." picked up and given my relationship with my only sister and the fact that he's your only brother I would dare to say he's doing this on purpose she started <laughs> laughing and she says you know what funeral home hasn't picked him up but I know she says I can see those dancing eyes of his <laughs> laughing as he goes to heaven because he did this to me on purpose. Huh. So there, there is a way to look at that moment with love yeah, if you yeah. prepare. Right. So this patient right. had been on hospice for a while. She knew what was coming. Mm-hmm. She knew the decline. She has spoken to everybody in the team. She took advantage of something that is a gift, which is preparing us for that moment. From what I remember, in Venezuela, we didn't have this. Yeah. Um, there's many countries where it's just... You don't have anybody to prepare you, mm. um, again, because with modern science, everybody thinks it's going to be a new treatment, a new thing. Yeah, so forever. you wait yeah. until the end instead of, again, if, as true Catholics, we're like, you know what? When can the moment arrive? We're ready. Yeah, let's, right? let's do this. Yeah, let's just make it happen. You mentioned Venezuela again. I, I, I want to, and we're down to our last few minutes here. If yeah. you're just tuning in and thinking, uh, who's this interesting uh, gentleman? Alfonso Montiel, CEO of Silverstone Hospice. Uh, their website, silverstonehospice.com. We've covered a lot of ground here. 
Uh, tell us briefly, uh, and I, I probably should have mentioned this earlier, uh, your uh, uh, Maria Esperanza from Venezuela. And from Batania. She, Batania, yeah, Venezuela. Yeah. And, and for folks who haven't heard the story of the of Guadalupe Radio Network, she, she was really, really important. Uh, are yeah. the, 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 the original incorporators and my, our, our president, vice president took a, a, a pilgrimage to Venezuela. Uh, I'm guessing in the maybe the early 90s uh, or maybe probably mid 90s. And I was a teenager. I went. Yeah. 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 So you see so you, you. What was your experience with her? It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Can you, can you explain? Well, we should probably explain who she is. Can you? Can well, you do if, that? if if I remember correctly, um, there were some confirmed um, apparitions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking for the word. Yeah. Again, part of me is segmented in Spanish, <laughs> and um, and um, I. Perhaps hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of people made a pilgrimage yeah. to Betania. Yeah. Where this, where this took place. And from what I remember from my eyes uh, as a teenager is that it was very, very peaceful. Mm. It was wonderful. Some people would see the phenomena. Yeah. And which if I don't remember, among, if I remember one of the ways it manifested itself is you would see the sun started spinning yeah in colors and uh, i might have seen something like that um it was um but the the, the thing i remember was the feeling Peaceful. of peace yeah. and love and maria Esperanza was there yeah i think that yeah. when i when i went she was there yeah she pretty much gave uh our president and vice president the marching orders of uh, what you need to do here's here here's the plan and so you mentioned I, she's in dallas uh, uh no um well maria's passed passed on but oh. um but no this they, they went to venezuela oh then so yeah she's i don't know that she's been here although i met i think it was her grandson he came by one time to the studio a long time uh, several years ago but anyways let's kind of wrap this up you've had an amazing life mm. you've uh, you've been blessed to uh, you know come from uh, poverty to live in a well, when I was born we already had oh you already had okay your dad was poor if my yeah. father is listening he'll be like no 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 you weren't poor I was uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah your dad had the, the one shirt for school right yeah. right and an amazing uh, uh, dynamic mother for sure uh, and now you're doing this work that you consider missionary work. Yeah. So what, what's, what's your, you know, kind of your last word of maybe advice or counsel to people who, you know, are experiencing hospice with their, their, their loved ones or, you know, one day will? What, what's, what's, uh, what should we know just in, in kind of closing out here? Well, with, with, with hosp- I have a thought, but with hospice is the moment you feel, or palliative care, because it's an easier, so the difference between hospice and palliative, and we do both, with hospice you have to suspend curative treatment. So it's all about comfort. Mm-hmm. With yeah. palliative care, you have a little bit of that support, and you have the nurse and the doctor and all that, but if you're doing chemotherapy or dialysis, you can keep it. Okay. And what it allows you to do is when the moment comes, if the moment comes that you deteriorate and you need more help, our doctor will have the conversation with you that nobody else mm-hmm. has the time to have. Yeah. So you'll hear the truth. That's the thing about hospice. And in terms of what, you know, I'll, I'll speak for me. The work that we do is so sacred and so wonderful. I almost daily... I ask myself, what's my intention behind it? Mm-hmm. Because I don't, I hope I am not doing what I do to uh, heal a hole in my heart. 
I hope I do what I do because my heart is full mm-hmm. and I want to give. Yeah. I hope I can figure out what life's about before I take my last breath. Yeah. I have that 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 intention. Mm. So um every day that I wake up and I realize that we do what we do, um I'm excited. I'm not a saint. I love my martinis and my wine. <laughs> saints, and, uh, saints can drink martinis in a wine. <laughs> and, uh, I hope so. Also, I'm going to be in trouble. But uh, uh, but I, we we're here to serve, and like you're yeah. serving with with this with the work that you do. Yeah. That's what we aspire to do. And if anybody also wants to volunteer and change their lives with the gift, you have volunteers. Oh yeah. They can reach out again to our website, and I'm I'm, I'm happy to give my oh. phone number if if they sure, want to. Yeah. My mobile phone is two one four two four three seven zero four one. You can call me. You can text me. The gift of hospice changed my life. Oh wow! Being wow. next to people that are vulnerable, that are transitioning, and need somebody to hold their hand and tell the truth and just be present. Yeah, changed my life. Uh, young people like. Can can high school or college students and um, yeah, uh, volunteer? Yeah, yeah. So not, pretty much people not, of all not ages. Not too young because not it's, young. it's a okay. little. It could be a little intense, but yeah, uh, right. but yes, young people can do it. Okay, and you can choose to be with 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 um, with patients and family that are not imminent. Right, and, right. And you'll have a certain type of of of, of activities with them. Um, I, for example, we we serve a facility not far from here where they have a walking club. So the volunteers can go and walk mm. with the patients around the block. There's, there's, there's so many things that you can do for this sacred gift and ministry of, of, of end-of-life care, yeah. which in our case is it is It is a sacred uh, profession, a sacred mission. Uh, can, can we close just with a prayer? Can, uh, yes, uh, you, you Actually, you led a prayer before we started recording. Yeah. So uh, can we do a Hail Mary? Yes. <clears throat> um, uh, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady Guadalupe, pray for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. Alfonso, it's been a pleasure getting to know you. Alfonso Montiel, CEO of Silverstone Hospice. Uh, I think you're definitely in the the right place at this time in your life, and hopefully for for many decades to come. SilverstoneHospice.com is the website. Um, uh, Alfonso's phone number two one four two four three seven zero four one. I hope you've enjoyed this. Again, thanks to Olivia Franklin, that stunning woman yes. that Alfonso was talking yeah. about. Yeah, uh, and thanks to Cecil as well. If you have any suggestions for future interviews of the week. Please uh, reach out to me, Dave Palmer at grnonline.com. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your weekend. God bless you. Thanks for joining us for this week's KATH 910 AM Interview of the Week. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Catholic news and information pertinent to North Texas Catholics. Please join us again next week at this same time for another KATH 910 AM Interview of the Week. KTH 910 AM welcomes Emerson on Harvest Hill as a new sponsor. It's a senior living community in North Dallas near St. Rita Parish. Amenities include chef-prepared meals each day, transportation, social and educational events and activities, 24-hour security, and the participation in the sacraments. To learn more about Emerson on Harvest Hill or to arrange a tour and visit, you can contact Karen Ray via email at kray at emersonharvesthill.com or you can visit their website, emersononharvesthill.com. 
St. Anne's Parish in Coppell welcomes Lisa Brinkemeyer, Catholic speaker and founder of Walking with Purpose, a national Catholic women's Bible study ministry to an evening night out for women of all ages. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth, and North Texas. Catholic radio for your soul on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. 